Thank you, David, and uh, good morning, everyone. Now, what I'm reading is uh, found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, reading from verse 13 through to chapter 5 and verse 11. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light, and sons of the day. We do not belong to the light or to the darkness, so then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled putting on faith and love as a breastplate and a hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, 
encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ross. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage of your word. Please be with us now as we've asked through our prayers this morning. Please open our eyes, unblock our ears, draw us in the attention of our minds to concentrate and to respond with repentance and faith and with encouragement to this wonderful passage of your living word today. We pray, Lord, that you would be with us in Jesus' name. We belong to the day. And this is something which we need to remind ourselves of because in our world today there's a kind of darkness that covers everything around us and it's inescapable because actually we ourselves are a part of the problem. It's not just out there, it's in here, it's in us. Buried in our flesh, in our souls, it's in the air we breathe, in our culture, all around us. A rebellion against God, a denial of the truth, a hatred of the right. Yes, the Bible calls it sin. It's so deep that we cannot be rid of it unless God intervenes and takes away that time which we have been broken and consumed by. The Apostle Paul puts it this way, Romans chapter 1. You know the passage. But he says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And Paul goes on to explain all the ways in which this has affected us as human beings. Sin entered into the world and through sin came death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. God's penalty for sin is a death sentence. The power of death today can be seen in, frankly and ironically, but it can be seen in many people's attitudes to life. According to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, for example, I just looked up the most recent statistics, there's a chart there which shows all the different categories and ages. Um, a little bit blurry, it seems to me, but anyway. Uh, down the side is the different age groups. Across the top is the number one, two, three, four, and five of the severity. What it shows us in the red circle there is that according to the most recent statistics, suicide is now the leading cause of death for Australians aged between 15 and 44. The leading cause of death. And by the way, the our younger group, uh, 1 to 14, it is the fifth most common cause of death in ages 1 to 14, and in 45 to 64 it is the third most common cause of death. We have a plague of suicide in our land. Every year in Australia there are more deaths from suicide than from homicide and car crashes combined. 
It's so sad. People are losing the will to live. They look at the troubles in their lives and in their world, in our world, and they say it's all too hard. And they take their lives. I was watching television this morning, they're talking about the Australian Defence Forces. I believe, I didn't write the statistic down, but I think suicide amongst those who have been in the Defence Forces is ten times that of our community. Something like that. There's ten times more people have died from suicide than from on the battlefield. What's the answer? The Apostle Paul says in our passage today in verse 13, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. A hopeless life, a godless life, is a foretaste of hell. Those who experience it are trying to stop it, and yet they're actually racing, oftentimes, to everything that they're seeking to escape. From the Christian perspective, death is not the end. Although we all die since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, yet we say that death is not the end, but that Jesus has conquered death and now brings new life. Today we're going to look at a passage that is actually full of encouragement for a world that needs to hear this message desperately. And Paul will say it twice in our passage, encourage one another with these words, and then again, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Yes, this is an encouraging passage. And even as Christians, sometimes we do need to remind ourselves of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ, death has been conquered, and we belong to the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. We belong to the day of Christ's victory and the kingdom of his light. We belong to the day. So this morning we have a message of comfort for those who grieve or perhaps are facing death, and a message of encouragement for those who despair at the darkness in our world. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's God who takes away the pain by taking the pain upon himself that we might have forgiveness and be released from the burden of despair and discouragement, hopelessness of a life without God. We belong to the day. And yet we do still need to be comforted and encouraged in our faith. So let's start with the comfort that God gives to those who are grieving the loss of a loved one particularly those who are in Christ. This is a message to the church. And this is comfort for the grieving. Paul's concern is responding to this delicate issue is twofold. First, he doesn't want us to be ignorant of the state of those who die in Christ. Ignorance can be a problem. And secondly, he doesn't want the church to be overwhelmed by grief, by inordinate grief, when our loved ones pass away. 
In short, he wants to help us to cope with the shock of bereavement, which is something that we do all face in life. Again, he says in verse 13, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep or to grieve, inordinate grief, like the rest of men who have no hope. We do have hope. We do have life. Paul never diminishes the tragedy of death, but he never obsesses over it either, and that's important. Yes, we grieve, but our grief is not endless. Today we have the assurance that in Christ, death has been conquered. Something's happened in the world that changes the ending of the story for those who come to know Christ. We know where we stand. We know who holds the future. But the pagan world has no such assurance, does it? Their view of death is all mixed up and schizophrenic, much like the world that we live in today. For example, in Thessalonica, there is, I understand, an inscription which says this, After death, no reviving. After the grave, no meeting again. An ancient inscription. Speaking very modern kind of thought, isn't it? After death, no reviving. After the grave, no meeting again. And elsewhere, the gravestone says, I was not. I became. I am not, I care not. Very modern sentiments, and yet very ancient ones too. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. It's fatalistic, and it's futile. But we believe as Christians that Christ died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. Those words are important. Those who have fallen asleep in Him. From knowledge of the resurrection comes hope for the future. From hope for the future comes comfort for those who are grieving. For the resurrected Lord, Jesus, lifts up the faces of the downcast. It's Jesus who brings the comfort that you are looking for in times of grief. There's no doubt that bereavement is devastating. Death is one of the worst experiences in life. Bruce Miller, the minister, is now retired, but his first wife died early in ministry, and he described the impact of her death like this. He said, it's like having an enormous hole ripped out of the centre of your life. And what you have to do to survive is to learn how to live your life by walking around that hole. It's always there, the loss. It's always there. But somehow God gives you the strength to recover some kind of normality of life. But it only takes the whiff of a perfume or the mention of a name or the passing of a special date. And all those memories become flooding back along with the tears. Now back to you today. Or perhaps if you know someone who's struggling with the loss of bereavement, or you're facing death yourself and feeling anxious about it, here is the comfort that you need. I want you to notice, first of all, the strong promise in verse 14. It says at the end of the verse, And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. God himself will do this. He will bring with Jesus 
those who have fallen asleep in him. And there's more to tell here, but let's start with that. Then here, Paul is describing what death is like for believers. When a Christian dies, we trust that he or she is not really dead, but only, as it were, asleep. Especially, we're still alive, even when our bodies are in the grave. As I said, death is not the end. God has promised to bring with him those who die in Christ, so that when Jesus comes again, as he's promised to do, he will bring all those who believe in him before they die. I don't know exactly how it's going to work, but it'll be loud, it'll be wonderful, it'll be glorious, and it'll be good. Ross and Narelle were joking this morning about the trumpet call of God here. You know, this extraordinary blast from the heavenly realms. They say, don't stand next to the trumpet. It's going to be very loud because it's going to call the whole world, and even the deaf will hear it. And it's going to be something extraordinary that's picture here. It's hard to conceive of how it's all going to fit together, but it's going to be loud and wonderful and glorious and good. So that whether we are dead or alive, whether we are awake or asleep, God will raise us up bodily to meet with Christ, and so we will be united with him and with one another in the new creation forever. So in verse 15, it says, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left to the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So when Jesus returns, the living dead who are now in Christ will receive their resurrection bodies in a cosmic end-time awakening, and then the bodies of those who are still alive will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. And so we will all meet the Lord together in the air as one people redeemed and sanctified in Christ. Paul says in verse 17, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. It's a very broad brush picture, isn't it? It's hard to sort of fill in all the details of how this works, this being caught up from the earth, this rapturing experience between the heavens and the earth, the formation of the new creation. It's all going to happen in some incredible way and we just have to trust that God knows how we're going to accomplish it all. We're going to be caught up in that moment, and it's going to be good. But in the case of the Thessalonians, they seem to have misunderstood the timing of these events, and that became a big problem for them. They imagined that Christ was going to come back any day now. But as the weeks turned into months, as the months turned into years, well, of course, some of them began to die. And this became a big issue for their faith. They were shocked that Jesus didn't come back as soon as they thought that he would. And thankfully, Paul is now able to give them the instructions, the correction, the teaching they needed to settle their anxious hearts about exactly how God is going to care for those who have passed on and to care for those who are still living. He tells them, in effect, that life must go on until Christ returns. 
But there's still bills to pay and mouths to feed, and yes, the bodies of loved ones to bury. Life must go on. But yet even this is not all bad news, because it allows us more time to reach more people with the gospel, until the full number of those that God has ordained to be saved are brought to faith in Jesus. And even though we must now live in this world for a little longer, at least we can encourage one another with these words. That we belong to the day when God's family will be reunited forever. This is the comfort of God's word for anyone who is grieving or perhaps facing death today. And I love this passage from Romans chapter 8. I keep coming back to it. It's one of my favourite passages of Scripture. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. Inseparable. A union with God in Christ that is unbreakable. So it makes no difference whether you're awake or asleep in Christ, just so long as you are in Christ, in relationship with Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who died on the cross and rose again and now reigns in glory and is coming again. If you are in relationship with this Jesus, the Jesus of history, if you are in Christ, then you belong to God, now and always, and nothing in all creation can change that, not even death. But about this metaphor of sleep in relation to death, I just want to explain. The main point of the metaphor is that death is only temporary. And just as a sleeper doesn't cease to exist when they go to sleep, neither does a dead person cease to exist when they're dead. In the same way, I believe the soul and the spirit will continually and actively enjoy the presence of God even in death. The main point of the metaphor is that death is only temporary. For the Christian, death is not to be feared beyond measure, because death is not the end. Also, I think we're going to notice that even within our passage, there are two ways in which the word sleep is used. There is the sense of those who are asleep in Christ, and then a little later on in chapter 5, you'll see that there are those who sleep, sleep at night, those who get drunk, get drunk at night. It's the same sort of thought of sleep, but it's talking more generally about uh, those who perhaps don't know Christ. So we need to be careful on how we read the application of this word, sleep. What we see though for Christians is that death is temporary, it's like a sleep, and then we wake up. We also see other passages in the Bible that speak of being absent from the body, present with the Lord. So we need to hold these things together. But we see, don't we, that death is a very painful thing and bereavement is devastating for those who are left behind, wondering what's happening, missing those they love. But at least for the Christian, it's not goodbye, it's only farewell. As I said, absent of the body, present of the Lord, that's the promise. 
When Jesus returns to bring in the new creation, we'll never be part again. This is the Christian hope. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's the gospel, and it is not to be despised. But if this morning you do not yet know Jesus as Lord, please understand the great peril that you are in, because after death comes judgment, and after judgment comes the second death, which is reserved for the devil and his demons and for those who reject Christ. Yes, there is a second death. For another name for hell. Believe me, you do not want to die in your sins. There's two ways to die. You can die in your sins, and you can die in Christ. If you don't know Jesus, you're going to die in your sins. Please come to Jesus and receive him as your Lord and Saviour, so that you can receive life in Christ today and enjoy his kingdom forever. It's the most important choice you can ever make. Come to Jesus and live. I want to come on now to Paul's second big concern in our passage today. So just two points today. Comfort for the grieving and encouragement for the despairing. Here Paul is seeking to encourage the living who are tempted to despair at the darkness in our world. And don't we sometimes feel down about the things that we see going wrong around us? The question here is, when will Jesus come back again? When will he put an end to this darkness we see around us? I'd love to know, but Thessalonians wanted to know too. In fact, they wanted to put the date in their diaries so that they could plan their lives accordingly. When are you coming back? I need to know what I need to do and schedule my life if I knew the date. And it sounds like a very sensible plan, doesn't it? But God has other ideas. I guess sometimes it can be unhelpful to have too much detail too soon. Uh, there's been many times in my life where I've realised afterwards how God has led me, and he leads me off and only has given me enough information to know what the next step is. Because if he told me the whole picture, I would have been a bit overwhelmed and terrified. I wonder, for example, if we knew for sure that Jesus is coming back on the 17th of September 2025, exactly two years today, what would that do to the way you live your life? I tell you what it tempt me to do stop working. That's what happened to Thessalonians. Quite a few of them became idlers and bludgers. Just sit there, oh, I'm okay, I'm with the Lord. It's not how we want to respond, is it? It'll increase our urgency for winning those who are lost. But now, Paul actually has to admonish later on some in the Thessalonian church who became bad witnesses for the gospel because they sat back and blood got over. And we know that Christ's return is imminent. We know that it could happen at any time. But exactly when it will happen, we do not know. All we know is that the world around us will be taken completely by surprise. As they're saying peace and safety to one another, suddenly the Lord will come and they will not see. Even as Christians, we need to avoid complacency. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, 
or people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as the labour pains are a friend of woman and they will not say. Jesus also tells his disciples much the same thing. If you read Matthew chapter 24, in that part of the passage, he says, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, said Jesus, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Paul's picking up the very words of Jesus and teaching them here to the Thessalonians. It's the same message. And yet there will be some signs that Jesus' return is near, which we will see and recognise as believers. For example, we know that the last days are dark days when sin is multiplied on the earth. So stay alert. Yes, take an interest in world events. Yes, watch and learn what's happening in our society. Yes, be aware of what's likely to come around the corner. But don't be driven to despair when you see the world in a mess because Jesus has said that's what's going to happen. So read your Bible and pray and prepare in readiness for Christ's return. Remember, we belong to the day. We belong to the day. And when that day comes, as it must, we need to be ready to receive our people with joy and praise and thanksgiving because it will be a happy day for those who die or who live in Christ. So in the meantime, I urge you to make yourself useful by taking every opportunity while you still have time to rescue the perishing and to encourage God's people because that's the best use of your time in this dark world. Reminds me actually of the picture of waiting for the birth of a new child. Not that I've had children, but I see the parents who have, and when the day gets near, there's a flurry of activity around the coming of that child. So I guess my, my parallel, you know, pack the bag to the hospital by all means, and paint the room, and buy the baby clothes, and make sure there's fuel in the car. But in the meantime, as you wait for that day to come, get on with life. And don't sit around doing nothing for nine months. Do something useful. Only God knows the time of the birth. But on the day when the waters burst, then you know that the time is very near. So it is with Christ's return. Look at verse 4. But you brothers are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are not in darkness, so that you should be surprised. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night and to the darkness. Do you see the difference? Those who live in the darkness will be taken by surprise. Those who live in the day will be ready. So don't fall asleep. Don't despair. But be prepared for the day of Christ's return. Paul says in verse 6, he really drives it home here. So then, let us not be like the others who are asleep. And here's a, a different use of the sleep idea. You're awake, you're not asleep. Let us not be like the others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. 
For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night, but since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love and the breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Yes, that's the image of the soldier, one of Paul's favourite images of the Christian life. Here again is the breastplate, the helmet of salvation, the armour of defence that we are to wear as Christians. Here again is the image of a Christian soldier, dressed for battle, wearing the life-giving armour of faith, love and hope. It's a picture of Christian encouragement and readiness and preparedness. So let me ask you, when you get up in the morning and you look at yourself in the mirror, who do you see? Do you see someone who's ready for battle? Do you see someone who knows the kind of life that Paul Christ has called you to live? Are you up to date with events in the world so that you can see where we're up to? Are you alert for Christ's return? Are your bags packed with prayers for our church and for our wider world? Is your tank filled with hope for the lonely and the lost neighbour who needs to hear the good news about Jesus? Are you ready for Christ's return? A friend of mine once uh, played skirmish. He's a Bible college student, actually. I didn't play, but he might just sound a little bit much for me. But they went off and had a game of skirmish. It's one of those games where you shoot one another with marble-sized pellets of paint. Not fun. It's quite dangerous, actually, when you're not queued up properly. Anyway, at the end of one of the rounds, apparently my friend foolishly jumped up and ripped off his helmet to paint a better look at the scene around him. He was covered in pain and he was sweaty, so he took off the helmet just for a moment, the very thing that he was told never to do. As you can imagine, the supervisor, when he saw him take his helmet off, went ballistic. Did you read it? Didn't I tell you just one paintball can take out a line? Get on the back on now when you're out again. It's a bit like that with Christ, isn't it? You've got to keep your armour on. Until Christ returns, there is the imminent danger of attack from any side and moment. It's a very foolish Christian if fails to put in put on their armour. Because then you cease to be battle It's a call to repentance, it's a call to faith. Keep walking with Christ. You may have come to Christ many years ago, or just the other day, but do you have your armor on? Are you battle ready? God has given you the protection that you need through His Word, through prayer, through the fellowship of Christians. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Just in fact, you are Well, if you're following events in our world today, you'll know that there's a lot of chaos out there. And just this week, I was talking to someone for children in uni. 
He's talking about the coming to the referendum debate, and they didn't even know that there was a referendum happening. So, you know, a lot of people out there may have no idea because they're just not listening or watching what's happening in the world at all. There's a lot of things going on in our world. Persecution of Christians in India. I take a prayer sheet and pray for Christians who are being persecuted there. Churches burnt down. Terrible things happening there and other places. You know about the disasters in Libya and Morocco? Thousands of lives lost. <clears throat> There's corruption in high places. Wars and rumors of wars. Families are breaking down. Suicide is rampant. Sexual slavery is on the rise. Drug use. Euthanasia, abortion, gender fluidity. And on and on it goes. And yet today we're being encouraged not to despair, not to give up hope, not to lose sight of what God is doing in our world. For we do not belong to the night or to the darkness, but we belong to the day of Christ's victory and the kingdom of his light. We belong to the day. We have a hope that cannot be broken. We also have a message of comfort for those who grieve and a message of encouragement for those who despair at the darkness in our world. In conclusion then, if you are grieving this morning over a lost a loved one or you're facing death yourself, remember, you'll find your hope in Jesus. He is the one to go to. The one who has risen from the dead and now gives life to all who turn to him. Don't Grieve like the rest of the men who have no hope. Because now for those of who are in Christ, there is nothing in all creation that can separate you from the love of God that is yours in Christ Jesus our Lord. So rejoice and be glad, even in your sadness. For death has been conquered, and you belong to the day. Your brief and momentary troubles in this life are as nothing when compared to the joys that await you in the new creation, where the sun never sets and the day goes on forever. Secondly, if you're feeling discouraged today by the darkness in our world, and isn't there a lot of it about? Well, remember that God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. You have nothing to fear except fear itself. So don't get angry, get active. Seize the day. Take every opportunity to rescue the perishing and to do good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. Don't be lazy, don't be discouraged, don't grumble, but seize the day. Make use of the time that God has given you. And finally, if you don't know Jesus as your personal saviour, again I urge you to do something about it. Don't die in your sins. Come to Jesus. Receive from him the free gift of forgiveness and new life in Christ. Flee the darkness, enter the day, and don't delay. We belong to the day. We belong to the day that God has prepared for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. The book of Revelation says this right at the end of the Bible, 
No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. Yes, we belong to them. So encourage each other and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this encouraging word today. In a world of division and uncertainty, brokenness and sin. You have come like a light into the darkness and shone the gospel hope upon us. Because Lord, to know that you have had the victory and help us to live in you and to die in you and not to be hated by fear or by inordinate grief. Please Lord, take, turn our tears into tears of joy. Help us Lord to put our armour on faith, love and hope and to keep it on and to walk with you until Christ comes again. We pray this in Jesus' name.